Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away, fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away, fly away. The best thing about that song, it's true. <laughs> it's true. It's not just a song. You know, sometimes we have songwriters that write songs that just mean nothing. But man, there is a lot of so much faith and so much truth in that song, and we're going to be a part of it. Can you imagine the day when we really are gathered in that by and by? Man, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? I can't wait. Amen. I want to go ahead and continue to speak on, on heaven today. We've been on that topic for a while, and, and I just, like I've said before, I'm really excited about it. I think heaven is just a grand, a grand place, a grand thing to be thinking about, and uh, there's some things that we need to continue to be preparing for as we are making our way there in this life. So um, as we've been speaking about it for the last number of weeks, I'm assuming you're probably getting a better grasp of it. And maybe there's here those that here that already have a great perspective of heaven. And if so, that's great. I'm so happy. I'm so glad. Because when we have that, it helps us get through some of the ups and downs in life. And maybe there are those this morning that this is very new to yet, and you're still trying to figure it out. And it's still an eye-opening experience, and that's good too. And maybe there are those that have a totally different perspective of heaven. Well, and that's all right too. Um, but I can tell you pretty much, according to God's word, that heaven is a place that we need to be thinking about. However you perceive it today, it is a place for you to continue to think about. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. I want to read this in the Living Bible Translation because it helps us see it. This brings it really alive to us. It says, beginning at verse 1, Since you have become alive again, so to speak, 
when Christ rose from the dead, now set your sights on the rich treasures and joys of heaven, where he sits beside God in the place of honor and in power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Don't spend your time worrying about things down here. You should have as little desire for this world as a dead person does. Your real life is in heaven with Christ and with God. And when Christ, who is our real life, comes back again, you will shine with him and share in all of his glories. Let's pray for a minute. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, this verse is pretty impactful. And it says some things in a pretty um, bold way. So I pray, Father, that as we continue to study about your heavenly home that you're preparing for us, that we can take it seriously here on earth and that we don't give it up and we don't give up anything that you would have for us here as well. But Lord, truly give our perspective of heaven your perspective, that we would see it the way you would have us to see it, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we continue to talk about heaven and as our perspectives continue to find God's perspectives, I will say that this will make earth much more enjoyable. Thinking about heaven does not detract us from living on earth. As we have a proper understanding of our heavenly home, it will make earth more fulfilling to us. Even though we're not to long or strive for the things of this world, when we think of heaven in a proper context, This will make our earthly experience that much more enjoyable. Hence, that's our mission statement, to be heavenly effective through earthly relevance, that we continue to think about that, how how living our life here is important, and we need to live it here um, with passion. We need to live it here with purpose, because as I live my life with purpose here, that makes my heavenly dwelling even more effective, even more enjoyable. It really does help, and it does work together. C.S. Lewis says this, and I know most of you know C.S. Lewis or read some of his writings, but he says this about heaven. He says, aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. But aim at earth, and you will get neither. What wisdom in in that little quip. And that little statement that we would, as we keep our eyes set on heaven, earth comes along with it. But if I set my my focus or my eyes on earth, I'm going to miss heaven, and ultimately I'm going to miss earth. I'm not going to get either one. What wisdom. And he also says this about keeping our eyes focused on heavenly, our destination in heaven, while we're working this way through life. And he says this. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world or heaven, what they have become so ineffective, what they have been doing is so ineffective in this world. In other words, those that have been most effective changing the world, the most effective changing our culture, are the ones that have their minds set on heaven because they have a proper understanding of what heaven's about. And it's because we've stopped thinking about heaven, it's because we've stopped focusing there that we've become so ineffective in this world. Because we focus too much of our problems, we focus too much on our issues, that we lose God's perspective of the big picture of life, what's really about. 
So with this said in the background of the previous messages, I want to talk today about how we are to continue to think about heaven and how that really is our home that we should be seeking for. Heavenly rewards. God has a perfect reward and justice system in heaven. And I want to focus on that today. And, and I know that many people have issues or have concerns with this. And it's like that if we get to heaven and we find that one person has higher rewards than another, that somehow that heaven is going to be a caste system, how we're going to have the haves and the have-nots. And, and that, that, that messes people up. But if we're, if we're thinking about heaven in the, in the wrong context, I can see how that happens because when we think about the caste system down here, the have and the have-nots down here, we're thinking of ways because we're not good judges. We're not just judges. We're, we, we judge things by a wrong perspective. But heavenly, God, heavenly judgment will be by God and God alone, and he has perfect justice. And we will see and we will understand his perfect justice system then. So when we see people getting rewarded or um, having pleasures differently than our pleasures, we're going to know that it's because it's true, because it's supposed to be that way. And we celebrate it, exactly. We celebrate each other's successes. If we read through the Bible we will see many direct scriptures that detail the fact that God is going to judge the works of his people and reward them accordingly. And we, understand, we need to understand by that that God's, God, the way God judges things is going to be perfect. It's going to be according to his justice system. And when we understand the rules of God's justice system down here, it will make our heavenly experience so much better there. God gives us the instructions. That's what he's doing right now. Through the word, he's given us his instruction system on how we live this life so that we can have all that he wants for us eternally. It's, it kind of reminds me of um, when I was in college and, and um, when I go into, it's like taking a final exam. You know, um, the first day of the class and the first beginning of the class, the, the instructor, the professor, lays it out for us. He says, guys, this is the rules for my class. I'm going to do this. We're going to have labs. We're going to have uh, these homework assignments. We're going to have things inside and outside of class. And if you do these things well, then when it comes to my final exam, you'll pass, and you'll pass well. And if we listen to the professor, if we listen to him, and if we then study and take his class appropriately, we'll probably do very well in his exam. Whereas the person that says, I'm not going to listen to my instructor, I'm going to live, I'm going to go through this semester the way I want to go through this semester, and if I feel like doing the homework, I might do it. If I don't, I don't. And if I don't feel like studying, I'm not going to study. Well, when that person comes down to take the exam, he probably is not going to do very well because the instructor teaches according to his plan. And that's exactly what God's saying to us. He's saying, guys, I'm giving you the instructions, and if you will live your life in this world the way I'm telling you to, the way I'm explaining it to you as, then when you get into the final exam of heaven, you will be well rewarded. And you'll have eternity to be blessed by. And I will tell you, there is an enemy that doesn't want us to embrace that. The enemy does not want us to grasp that concept because he does not, first of all, does not want us to get to heaven. And secondly, he doesn't want, to, doesn't want us to enjoy it. And he also doesn't want us to enjoy this life. So the more that we focus in on him, the less we're going to enjoy heaven when we get there, if we get there, and the more we're going to struggle in this life. So let's just, let's just put all that stuff aside. Any 
previous knowledge that you've had that doesn't line up with keeping heaven focused in our mind's eye, put that away and let's just recognize that God is the perfect judge. And he has the perfect system and he's given us perfect instructions right now. And as we follow those instructions, we will have more enjoyment in this world and we will have a, a, a much more enjoyable and a rewarded and an effective heaven as we learn how to live by his system. Then we will celebrate the perfect justice system that he has. The Bible gives us some very serious warnings and conditions of God's judgment system. And so it's very wise of us to really study it and recognize that this is not my idea. It's not man's idea. This is God's idea that we listen and study well. Let me read a story here to illustrate the point of this passage that we're going to make here in a few minutes. Periodically, the story goes, periodically, the news will carry an interview with someone who has suffered a disastrous fire and lost everything. They are usually standing beside the charred embers of what was once their home, and it is obvious that they are totally devastated. They don't know where to turn or what to do. Sometimes they weep. Sometimes they scream. But one way or another, they reveal their pain and anguish. I've lost everything, they say. All my valuables, all my precious mementos, all my possessions, everything I have is gone. Well, we've seen people that have lost fires. We've lost homes and fires. And how devastating it is. They're alive and all their kids are alive. Thank the Lord for that. But they've lost everything. And this passage is, this story is an example of the passage we read in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 3. Turn there if you would, or you can look on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. And this is talking about how God is going to reward those as they come in and we are looking at our works. And God is going to reward us based on our works. Are they temporary or are they eternal? Beginning at verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. This is Paul speaking. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw their work will be shown for, for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though, he only, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So Paul's explaining here that we are building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That foundational stone, that foundational rock is our salvation. He is the rock. And as we build on Jesus, that is getting us into heaven. All right, that is the foundation that gets us into the destination of heaven to begin with. Because Paul's talking to Christians. He's talking about that, that as we make Jesus our foundation, that is the purpose, that is the the first judgment that we're going to pass through, and that is, have we accepted Christ as our life, right? And then after that comes the judgment of the believers. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks ago, about the Bema Seat judgment. And there is a judgment for believers that goes beyond just getting into heaven. Getting into heaven is the first judgment, and that is a judgment of faith. Do I believe in Jesus? Have I accepted him as my Savior? Is he my foundation? That's what gets us into heaven, that, and that happens immediately after death. But once we get into heaven, 
there is a day of judgment. And that's what the day is indicated here in this passage. It says, the, because the day, capital letter D, because the day will bring it to light, that is the Bema Seat. That is the day of judgment. That everything that we do will be brought before the world, that will be brought before the Father to judge us. Was it temporary or was it eternal? So according to this passage, we see that some of the works that we do are temporary and some are eternal. Some of the works we do will be burned up and some of the works we do will be permanent. One category is valuable, like gold, silver, precious stones, and the other category is relatively worthless and temporary, like the wood, hand, straw. And the fire of judgment will reveal that. God's fire will reveal what lasts and what doesn't. And for some, it's going to be a sad day. Because when they get to heaven, they're going to find out that their works burned up. And they will, they're in heaven, but they don't have much to show for it. Kind of like that person that was saved out of the fire of their house. They're alive, but they have nothing left. Now, and this, this can really mess with people. I get this. This can really mess with a Christian's mind to think that, wait, I'm in heaven and I don't have much. And some would say, well, you know, it's just enough to see Jesus. It's just enough to see Jesus. And I'm not minimizing that because it is going to be an amazing thing to see Jesus face to face. You look into his eyes, you see his love, you see his compassion, you see all that. It's going to be an amazing thing. And I'm not, I'm not diminishing that at all. But if that's all there was to this experience of heaven, then why would the Bible talk about rewards? Why would it continue to talk about that we are to live a life of permanent works? You see, if, if all it was was for us to see Jesus, then we would not be, Paul would not be talking to us about this other stuff, would he? Because it would just be confusing then. It would have no value. But he's talking about, look, people, you need to work in a way that your works are of precious stones, gold and silver, and that will last the fiery trial of God's judgment. He's telling us this. So we're wise to wake up and listen to it, and don't let the enemy put a cloud over our minds to say, oh, that doesn't matter. It does matter because Paul's talking about it, because the Bible's talking about it. The Word of God is true, and he's faithful. So let's listen to that alone. Let's go back. Let's look at verse 13 again. Um, it says, for their work will be shown for what it is, because the day, that's the day of judgment, the beam of seat judgment, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been done survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So if we're going to be rewarded in heaven, let's understand what we're going to be rewarded for. All right, and so this leads to some obvious questions. All right, what works will survive the fire? What makes our works valuable and permanent? And how are we supposed to know what in our lives will be eternally rewarded and what won't be? I mean, these are good questions, and we need to spend some time thinking about this. So the two basic questions that come out of that are this. What kind of works should we be doing? And how should we be doing them? And that's where I want to spend the next few minutes and today on and maybe even later. 
But both questions are very important that we have a working knowledge of and a revelation knowledge of. The first one, what kind of works, is very broad and covers our whole life, every area of our life, as, it's, as it gets broken down into specific action items and, and all the gifts that we have. And even though it's very important to understand the what's that I'm supposed to be doing, it's even more important that we understand the hows and the whys that we're doing it. So I want to spend more time today speaking about why I do things more than what I do, because what we do can be very different based upon who you are, about, about what your strengths are, about what your personality is, about what your giftings are. Because verse 10 tells us that our reward is going to be based upon more about the why that we do something. Verse 10, if you go back and look at it, it tells us that we're to be careful in how we build. Verse 10, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone, uh, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. Or the New King James Version says, but, each, but let each one take heed how he builds. The Living Bible says, but he who builds on the foundation must be very careful. So we must be, must be very careful on how and why we're building maybe as much or more than what it is that we're doing. Why is that so important? See, we can do the right thing for the wrong reasons. We can say the right thing for the wrong reasons and get a total different reaction. You know what I'm talking about? How you can say the right thing in the wrong way and it, you totally miss the mark. Well, and I, and, and I believe that the reason that God focuses more on the whys than on the whats, because he gives us the ability to do our whats. I can't do anything unless I do it, unless Christ has already gifted me. So I can do some really great things. And do you think God's impressed? Not so much impressed about what I've done because he gave me the ability to do it in the first place. So he's not saying, oh, I'm really impressed, Mike, that you were able to do that. He's not that impressed because I'm the one that gave you the ability to do it. <laughs> so what we do isn't so impressive to God because he's given us the strength to do it. But why I do something is totally different because that is, a, that is revealing the character of me wanting to do something for God for the right reasons. It's the why I do things is a direct reflection on my heart and my love for Christ and my gratitude. Why I do something is so much more important than what I do. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, here's an example. He says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Man, a guy can make a great prayer out in public and look really good, look really spiritual, right? But if he's not praying to God, then what's the point? If he's praying to be seen by men, are men going to answer his prayer? Are men going to be the fulfillment of who he is? Absolutely not. No, he's doing it to impress people. But it goes later on in that verse, but no, when you pray in secret, then God hears and God sees, and that's what he rewards is what we do in secret. So we're not seen by men. So our motivation of why we do something is so much more important than what we do. 
We can do good things, but for the wrong reasons. And the biggest thing that differentiates the difference between the way man judges and the way God judges is their viewpoint. Men can only see on the outside. I can only see what you're physically doing. I really can't judge your heart. I can have, an, I can have a, a good indication of it, possibly, but I really can't judge it. Whereas God is the perfect judge of our hearts. Certainly God sees the outside. He sees the fruit. He sees what I'm doing. But he sees the most important thing, and that's the motivational aspect of my heart. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why did I give that gift and the offering? Was it because I want the guys counting the offering to know that I'm a big giver? Or am I doing it because I'm obedient to God because, hey, it's a tithe and I'm doing what's right, and, or it's an offering over and above my tithe, or why do I do anything for people to see it? Really is a big difference and really important that we understand that concept that we are to be doing things for the right reasons. So I want to touch on four different motivational elements that God sees differently than we see. And maybe I'm probably only going to get through a couple of them today, but uh, the four motivational elements are this. Number one, works done in faith. Number two, works done in faithfulness. Number three, works done with proper motives. And then the fourth one, works done by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk about the first two today. Works done in faith and works done in faithfulness. All right, what does works done in faith mean? Now, we've spoken previous weeks that we can please God and that we can displease God. And there's, there is a misinformed notion that pleasure in God and God's love are the same thing. They're not the same thing. God's love is different than his pleasure. God loves us very clearly. The God says God is love. God loves us. God loves all men uh, perfectly. It, and he's not a respecter of men. He loves the worst sinner as much as he loves the best Christian. There is no basically difference in God's love. It's all the same. Amen? We, do we grasp that concept that's unconditional? No matter what I do, God loves me. He loved me enough be, that he sent Jesus to die for me even before I was saved. Even before I was lovable, he sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. For the fact that I received Jesus or not received Jesus does not change his love. On the other hand, we're talking about pleasure now. I can be pleasing to God or I can be displeasing to God and it doesn't change his love. But yet, I am, I am instructed to live a life to please my Father. So works done in faith help us do that. In fact, if we don't have faith, we can't please the Father. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1, and then I want to skip down to verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. All right, that's a definition of faith. It's confidence in what we hope for, but yet we don't see it. We know it's coming. I don't see it, but I'm confident in it. That's faith. Right? Now skip down to verse 6. And it says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
So if we're going to please God, we must have faith. It's impossible to please God if we don't believe, number one, that he exists and that Jesus Christ is our, is our Savior and then that we are going to earnestly seek him with all that we have. We believe clearly that Jesus is our Savior. That's, that's the thing, that, that gets us into heaven. It's not our works, it's our belief in Jesus. That's the thing that gets us through that test of faith that immediately gets us into heaven. And then later comes the Bema Seat. And that's exactly what the Bible is saying right here. God is the rewarder of those that live and work in this life with faith, knowing that God has all things under control and knowing that we are doing things even though we don't see it, we're doing it, we're believing it, He's the rewarder of us, of those who diligently seek him and are living in his presence in this world. God is pleased and he is a rewarder of those that work for the eternal things that we don't see yet in this world, but yet we have faith for. God is pleasure. He, he smiles when, we, when he sees that in us. When, when he sees us working for things that we do not see yet, but we know that we have faith, that puts a smile on his face because that proves to him that we trust him. It proves to him that we're putting our faith in him and not in the things that we can see. 2 Corinthians 4, 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And this means that you may have to forego some of the immediate and physical forms of reward on this earth because your faith is taking you to the next level. Your faith is saying, I don't need to receive that reward right now because I know that God has something better for, better for me in store later. That puts a smile on the face of God. When, I, when, he can look at, when he can look down and see, oh, I love my son or my daughter, they're foregoing the pleasures of this world because they know that I have something in store for them better. That's faith. That's how we please God. It kind of reminds me of the story. Maybe you've heard this story before, but let me read it again because it's pretty meaningful. It kind of helps us get the point. It goes like this. It's like a man lost in the desert who comes upon a deserted town with a well. His mouth is parched from the intense heat. He needs water desperately, so he pumps and pumps, but to no avail. Then he sees a note nailed to a post instructing anyone who wants water to look behind the rock where there is a can of water to prime the pump. The note insists that it will re require all the water in the can to prime the pump. If he drinks any of it, there will not be enough to get the flow started. And there is one, and then there's one last word of instruction. Please fill the can and place it behind the rock for the next thirsty traveler. So if you understand how a pump works, you know, the old pump, the old, the old push handle pump, it's got a cylinder that goes up and down, right? And it works on a vacuum. And, if that's, and that seal has to be moist, and it has to make good connection on the outside of that rim to create the vacuum. And if the, if the vacuum's created, it will suck the water out of the well. There's water down there, but it's not flowing until it's pumped up, right? So what's happened, what happens is that the, the seal around this cylinder dries out. And as it dries out, it's not creating a vacuum anymore because air is getting around it. And so the guy can be pumping, 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 but all he's pumping is air, and he's not pumping any water up. So what happens is you have to sometimes put water in the well, dump water down in the well, and get that seal moist, 
and then expands, and all of a sudden it creates that vacuum, and now when you start pumping the handle, what's it doing? It's pumping water, and it will pump water up, and it will make the flow again, all right? So here this traveler's coming along, and he's really, really thirsty, and, he, and he's pumping, and there's no water. And then he sees this can of water right here, and it says, don't drink any of the water, but you must trust me. <laughs> you must trust me. You must pour all the water down in that black hole, and if you pour all the water down, it will be enough to create that, open that seal, spread that seal, and now you'll have more than enough. You'll have more than what you'll ever need. But if you drink any of it, it's not going to work. So what do you do, thirsty traveler? Are you, are you going to trust it? Are you going to look and say, man, here's this water I could take, and this will quench my thirst right now. It'll give me my immediate quench of thirst. And if I dump it down... Man, how do I know it's going to work? How do I know, really? Kind of scary, isn't it? You're going to pour the water down the drain, or are you going to drink it? That's what Jesus is talking about here. This is the faith we need to have for eternal rewards. Are we going to dump it, or are we going to trust it? Man, that's a tough one, isn't it? It's a tough choice to make. Am I going to have trust and faith in God's Word? that I'm willing to give up stuff right now. I'm willing to give of my income. I'm willing to give of my time. Am I going to trust God that he's really going to come through with his rewards? Am I going to trust God that, that there's a significant difference in rewards? Or when I get to heaven, oh, it's all, we're all going to be the same anyway, so it doesn't really make any difference. That's, that, that's it's a good question. I will tell you what the devil's trying to make you think. The devil's trying to make you think he's a mean God. And he's a God that just wants everything he can get out of you. And so therefore, don't trust him. It's kind of like what the devil said in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? You know, he was trying to put into Eve's mind that God had, was holding out on her. God's got something better, but because... Uh, he's just trying to hold out on you. So did God really say you couldn't eat this? Because if you eat this, it's going to make you better than God. You know, and so there's the, the devil is there all the time, and he's still in there today. He's still doing that to us today. Did God really say this? Well, I think the best way to look at this is to have an attitude, first of all, that I'm going to believe the Bible, and I'm going to take it literally. I, I'm going to read the Bible, and I'm going to believe what it says. I'm not going to go down and try to figure it out in my own little workarounds. No, I'm going to read the Bible. When the Bible says something, I'm going to believe it. And then I'm going to look at it and, and, and to this life, and if I, have to, if I have to sacrifice here in this life, I'll do it. And if I have to earnestly seek God in the midst of my sacrifice, then I'll do it. And I'll know that he's absolutely faithful to carry out his promises to me. If I have to make that choice, and I am not saying here that we need to take vows of poverty because sometimes God does bless us. In fact, we're all very blessed in this country. I mean, come on, we're all very blessed. You, can, you take a look at the world and we're very, very blessed. So if God is going to bless me with good things while I'm living in this life, then here's another challenge for us. I need to make sure that I'm not allowing his blessings to become my focal point that I can accept his blessings and still seek him's face, that I don't let that become 
distractions to me. Because I think we all know sometimes our biggest temptation is all that God's given us down here and how quickly we can let that detract us from truly seeking the face of God. And then all of a sudden that blessing that God was given us really becomes a curse because it's taken us away from the face of God. And that's another great ploy of the enemy, right? Because he'll bless us with so much. We'll have toys to play with on weekends. We'll go play with our toys instead of coming to church. We'll go do our things out in the world and have a lot of fun and not have to worry about anybody else because I've got, my, you know, I've got everything I need. And I think one of the biggest challenges here, let me just put it this way, weary traveler, okay, that we don't make this world so attractive that we don't want to leave it. That we don't strive so hard in this world to get everything we want and make it so comfortable for us that I really have no desire to go on to heaven. Oh, I'm so comfortable here. Man, that's just something we discuss. That's a great temptation that many of us have. Many of us have blessings that we get and we have, and we want to make this world our world. And we get so comfortable here. And let me just say that both of these scenarios, whether we are going to have to suffer and, and, and give up things or we're going to have to work through blessings, both of them require great diligence on our part to make sure that we're keeping our focal point on heaven that we're not letting ourselves either get discouraged in our suffering so that we give up, thinking that, oh, God's not going to come through for me, or that we become distracted in our blessings, that we have so much here that I don't even have to need God anymore. Either one requires great diligence of us. And then that takes us to the second point. Not just works, we've been talking about works done in faith. Now we need to talk about works done in faithfulness. All right, there's a difference here. Faithfulness is an ongoing process. Faithfulness is a present tense. And the best way I can describe this is, is to go back to the parable that Jesus spoke about the parable of the talents as given in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Now, I'm not going to read all that, but um, you can go back and read it later. But this is the parable that we all know about this. This is the parable that this, the master was going away, and he had three, he had three servants. And the master was a wealthy master. And he gave one servant five talents, which was a sum of money, another, talent, another servant two talents, and then the third servant one talent. And then he said, okay, I'm going to go away, but when I come back, I'm going to expect a return of the money that I've invested in you, right? So the master goes away for a long period of time. He comes back, and he's going re- to now uh, evaluate. This is the Bema seat. He's going to evaluate and compensate based upon what the, what the servants have done with the money that he was give, they were given. All right? So now we know the story. The servant that he gave five talents to, when he came back, the, the servant says, I have five more. So he doubled it. The master was very pleased. The, the, master that, the servant that he gave two talents to, again, the servant doubled it. So he brought him two more. So he brought four talents back. And again, the master was very pleased. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, this is, his, this is what the master said. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. You see the difference in return? You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Great, re- great reward. The guys did a good job, right? The third servant, he was afraid of the master. He knew the master was a hard master, so he says. 
right? And he was afraid that he was going to lose the money. So rather than lose the one talent, he hid it. He didn't invest it. He hid it in a rock someplace, and he comes back, and the master says, let me see what you've done with it, and he brings back one talent. He didn't lose it. He didn't squander it. He brought it back. Doesn't sound like a bad deal, really, does it? I mean, he could have lost it. He could have spent it on himself. I mean, he could have done some other bad things with it, but instead he just kept it. He just put it safely in a way so that it wouldn't get lost. And he brings it back to his master thinking that, okay, I'm going to get, he's going to be happy with me because I didn't lose it. But what did the master say? This is really important. Go back and read this, Matthew chapter 25, verses 26 through 30. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. He says that in a question, like, really? You really think I was that way? That's what he says. He's questioning him. Then verse 27, well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That, pretty, that seems like a pretty harsh punishment, doesn't it? for not losing something. I mean, you can see it if the guy would have come back and lost it or spent it on himself. You could see the master saying, well, you wicked, lazy servant. No, he just didn't do anything with it. And he's being punished like he's a criminal. And here's something else. This is a servant that was given the least, only one talent. That signifies for us today that many times we don't think we have much to offer. You know, I, I'm not gifted like Billy Graham. I'm not gifted. I don't, I don't, I'm not speaking to thousands of people, so therefore I don't have really much to be accountable for. And maybe you, you don't, you don't think you have enough. To, you know, you're just a person that just whatever, you know, whatever, whatever you think you are, you think you're insignificant. Well, this man was insignificant compared to the one that was given five or two. But you look at how he was treated. Now, if that man would have brought one back or brought two back, if he would have doubled it, what do you think his reward would have been? The same as the one that brought five back. Well done, thou good and faithful. You are faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you over many things. It's not the quantity. It's the faithfulness of what we have. As we work with the faithfulness of what we have, God gives the blessings and, and what's really good, too, is that the man that had two wasn't responsible for the man that had five. God rewarded him based upon what God gave him. So don't think that you have to do what somebody else does to be rewarded. No, you just do what you do to the best that you can and bring that back to him. Be a good steward of what God has given you and do your work, work hard, knowing that God's going to reward you with many things over what you've brought back to him because you were faithful. The rewards will match one's faithfulness in the same way the loss of rewards will match one's unfaithfulness. Pretty important topic, isn't it? Pretty, pretty important that we grasp the concept here. Another element of faithfulness is our perseverance, that we persevere to the end. In other words, we keep on going with what the Lord has given us, that we don't give up. Galatians chapter 6, 9, and 10. Let us not become weary in good doing, 
For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Listen, guys, it's not how you start. It's how you finish that matters. We've all had bad starts. That's okay. Let it go. You're forgiven. God doesn't hold that against you. You've repented. You're forgiven. Let it go. What he's measuring in you on is where are you at right now? Where is your faith right now? How are you going to end the race? End the race strong because that's the only thing we can control. I can't control my past. I can't change my past. I can ask God to forgive it, and he does. All, I have, all I'm responsible for is what I'm doing right now. And that's what I'm going to be rewarded on. Now, God will reward all the good things that I've done in the past as I've done with, with right motives, and we'll find that out next week. But I'm going to, be, I'm going to get all the rewards, but, I'm not re, but I, I, have to, I have to finish strong. I have to, end, I have to hold on to the end. And there's, there's four other verses I'm not going to read here, but 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, they're on, if you have the handout, they're on your handout. I would ask you to go home and read these. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, and Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 through 27. Go home, study those, and that will help you understand better the fact that God wants us to persevere to the end. Don't give up. But I want to read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, and then we'll move on. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. This is the faith chapter. This is the chapter that talks about all the Old Testament heroes, all the faith that they had. He says in verse 13, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. So listen, parent, grandparent. You may be praying for your grandchildren. You may not see their salvation. You may not see what God has in store for them, but you just keep praying. You just keep believing, and you may pass on, and you may never see it. But your faithfulness to the end is what God's asking you to do. Just persevere to the end. Jackie, would you come? So we are just sojourners here, folks. We're just journeying through this life. This is not our home. We can, we can enjoy it here. I'm not saying we don't enjoy it, but don't let the, don't let the pleasures of this world distract us. And don't let the suffering of this world discourage us. Just know that we're journeying on. Hebrews chapter 10, one more passage. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 through 39. The writer says, Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. He takes no pleasure in the saint that says, God, I'm giving up. I'm too tired. I've given it all I have, and I don't trust you anymore. That's not where you want to be. Hang in there, people. Don't give up. Hang in there and know that he is going to richly reward you as you have faith to believe to the very end. God is faithful, and he is true, and he will do everything he says in his word. Believe it. Take that to the bank. Stand on it. God is not going to leave anybody in the lurch if you trust him. 
stay with him, trust him, and that just continue to seek him. And no matter what happens, don't be discouraged and don't get distracted. He's a good, good father. And he's got us all in his hand. And he'll take us to the end if we'll stick with him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we just come to you today, Father, an understanding that your word is true and sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes we do come to these crossroads in life where we have that can of water and we're wondering, do I dump it in the, in the well or do I drink it? Am I going to forego my moments right now knowing that you have more in store for me or am I going to, am I going to jump to the thing right now that I can see? Father, I pray you give us faith. And I pray that you strengthen our faith. And Lord, as we pray, as where, we're go- as where this church goes over the next few weeks and in over the summer period, Lord, that in, in these times where it may appear to be sparse, Lord, we know that you are doing a work and we're trusting you in the midst of the work. We know that, God, we are just priming the well. We're priming the pump. We're pouring everything we have into your words because your words are faithful and true. Encourage us today. Strengthen us today. Embolden us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's sing the song that Jackie and the team's playing, and then we'll go have fellowship. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, have your way in us, we pray. We bless your name. We're thankful for your promises. Your word is true, and we're going to take it literally, and we're going to walk in it. And we thank you, God, for all that you have in store for us and everything that you are asking us to do. We willingly and joyfully do it. 
with our whole heart and our whole mind and our whole body and our whole strength. Father, just bless us as we go throughout this day. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.